My name is Derek Duvall, and I'm the lead pastor of Awakened City Church in Harriman, Utah, a suburb of Salt Lake City. And I want to thank you for checking us out. Awakened City exists to connect people from all walks of life with the hope that's found in Jesus. And we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more information, you can visit awakenslc.com. And so if you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them or turn them on uh, and head to Galatians chapter 3. That's where we're going to hang out today. We're going to spend our time, uh, and we're going to spend it just four verses, verses 6 through 9 of Galatians chapter 3. And so while you're doing that, uh, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been uh, on a phone call, or maybe even more recently, it was a Zoom meeting, uh, and as you were getting off of it, you mistakenly said something like, all right, love you, right? That's (laughs) super embarrassing. Uh, And you just hope that the other person on the line that they hung up before uh, they heard you say it. Or maybe you've been uh, given, uh, you've been on the giving or the receiving end of a conversation that they intentionally said, uh, I love you, and then it just got awkward because it wasn't reciprocated or, or when it was said to you, you didn't quite feel the same way. Uh, and then there's those people also who just say, I love you to everyone or at the end of every conversation. Uh, and it can lend, it can begin to, to lose its meaning uh, or, or impact. But all of us, if we're being honest, we tend to throw the word love around pretty flippantly. Uh, We say, I love the Utah jazz, or I love soft jazz, or I love sushi, or I love this chair, or this shirt, or your hair. We we really, we could say I love to about anything. And when we say it about everything, then it means nothing. Uh, So really, when we use the word love, nine times out of ten, what we're really saying is, I like this a lot, right? And so more often than not, our our love isn't so much a a deep-rooted care and desire for one another, but in reality, a love for ourselves. I love you because of what you can do for me, or I love you because of the way you make me feel. Uh, Maybe I could unpack it like this. when we love people well, that there are certain things that we tend to do and say. We, we love to encourage their strengths. Uh, when we notice something praiseworthy, we like to point that out. We say, man, you're, you're so good at that. Or I noticed this about you and you're just a natural. We, we, we love that kind of love. Uh, it, this, is, this is the height of love in our culture. If you, if you love me for who I am and, and your love is, is all about me, I love that kind of love. If you want to point out where I'm awesome, uh, I can do that kind of love all day long, right? So love will also say, you know, that that makes you feel good. Well, you you like that? Well, let me make sure that we we get you more of that, right? Or, oh, that that bothers you? Well, let me see what I can do to stop that from happening again. But in reality, uh, Although those are elements of love, love actually is much deeper than that. And so, yes, love builds up, it encourages, it protects, but real love can't stop there. It must go from encouragement to instruction, from applauding to pleading when the one we love is walking down a path that leads to destruction, if that makes sense. And so our our culture likes to define love as pointing out and celebrating the good in others. But we're not really big fans of having someone engage uh, in those places that are wrong in our lives, right? That's viewed as 
unloving. But, but, but hear me when I say that the, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Uh, and to, to see someone going down a path that you know will end uh, in head-on collision, but then not speaking up or doing anything, that's, that's not loving them. It's, it's actually incredibly unloving. And so as we've been walking through the book of Galatians, what we've seen Paul uh, write, as we've seen him write to this group of men and women uh, in whom he, he loves greatly, uh, he's, he's learned that, that walking away from the good news, that they're walking away from this good news, they're walking away from this gospel message toward a message that is no gospel, that's, that's no hope at all, right? And so in this letter, it's an admonishment, an exhortation to the Galatians out of a spirit of love for them. And although Paul's tone in Galatians chapter 3 seems a bit harsh, and it comes uh, it's going to come from a heart of love and concern for these people in the same way that you might speak to your child when he runs into the road. You, you don't chase after him and go, wow, buddy, that was awesome. You, you've really gotten quick. And man, you look like you're having a blast out there in the middle of the road. No, you, you yell at them, right? You're like, get out of the road. And then you pull them to the side and you say, hey, you remember that squirrel we passed on the way home? But that could have been you. You got to be careful. We can never run out into the road, right? That, that's how we talk to them. And so as we jump into Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 6 through 9, uh, let me just recap where Kyle went two weeks ago when he was walking through uh, that text. And so Paul begins this letter, and he's addressing the Galatians as brothers in chapter 1. But then starting in chapter 3, what does he call them? Look at your Bibles. He says, Fools. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. And then look at, look at what he says next. He says, has someone bewitched you? Has someone cast a spell on you? Because Paul has already laid before them a clear gospel message that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But it's as if they're, they're in this trance and they can't look away from this false gospel of trying to make themselves worthy before God by their good deeds. And so he follows it up with this rhetorical question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you obeyed the law? And then he answers his own question. Of course not. You were given the Holy Spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Jesus. And then he goes on to say, how foolish can you be? If you began your new life in the Spirit, why are you trying to clean yourself up and believing that by your good works, you're making yourself worthy before God? God's not working in and through you because you're keeping all the commands and making yourself acceptable before Him, because that's impossible. He's using you because you heard the gospel message and you believed. You see, we, we all have a story when, we, uh, when God met us in our sin and when we recognized that, that God was pursuing us and, and we then believed. For me, I was completely self-absorbed doing whatever it took to climb the ladder of popularity. Date this girl, wear that brand, drive this car, be friends with those people, say this, do that, act like this. Whatever it took to climb that ladder, I was all in. Uh, and, and I lived in a world where I was the center. And Jesus entered into the mess of it all and he saved me. He didn't come to me in the middle of the night and go, all right, Derek, 
I really want you to be on my team, but dude, you're a mess. Clean up your language, get over yourself. It's not about you. Leave the girls alone. Stop hanging out with some of those guys. And when, when you've done that, then come find me. That's not what happened. He just saved me. Now, now I, I started to attend a church with this girl, not because I liked her, but because dude, she was just so different. I mean, she didn't make sense to me. She knew Jesus. I didn't. And I, I just couldn't figure her out. And there, there was something about her that drew me in. Uh, and, and waiting in my own mess of sin, God just rescued me. And maybe for some of you, you can relate to, to parts of my story. And your story was similar. But for some of you watching, uh, you can't relate to that at all. Because from, from the world's perspective, you have a very different story. Those were never issues for you, right? You, uh, you grew up in a church and, and, and everybody knew it. You, you knew the right things to say and not say. Uh, and you had a, uh, a more righteous than others image to protect. And so you stayed away from those things. You see, for me, I, I was saying, I don't need Jesus because I can find it in the acceptance of others. I can find it in the affirmation of others. I can make my own uh, way that leads to joy. And some of you watching can identify with that. But then others watching, you grew up saying, I don't need Jesus too. But you said it because you thought, I don't need Jesus. I'm I'm choosing to do uh, things the right way. I'm keeping all the rules. I'm checking all the boxes. I haven't missed church since I was conceived. And I've got gold stickers on a chart to prove it, right? Or, or maybe for you, you, you filled the scroll and you had all 12 buttons before you were even in fourth grade. And you knew that you were more righteous than all of your peers. You were the one at church judging people like me, saying things or thinking things, well, at least I'm not like that guy. First time I've ever seen that dude in church. Hope the walls don't fall down on us, right? Or, man, dude, I can't even believe he had the nerve to show up. I wonder who invited him. And, and so for the first five verses, Paul is reminding the Galatians uh, where they were when God found them, when he began to pursue them. It wasn't because they got things figured out and clean themselves up. None of their testimonies or, or our testimonies were, well, I, I started doing this and I quit doing that and then God saved me. No, no, none. that's not our testimony. And so Paul's argument to the Galatian believers was, if you were saved when you were steeped in your sin, when you were at your worst, if that's when God rescued you, then what makes you think that his love for you has faded and you're forsaking the gospel and now earning God's favor by cleaning yourself up? So as we jump in our text for today, and Paul is admonishing the Galatians, he reaches back uh, into the Old Testament and he points out a man named Abraham. Now, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, let me just uh, give you a quick snapshot to who uh, Abraham is. And so in the first book of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis, uh, what we read is that God pursues this man from Ur, which is modern-day Iraq, uh, named, and he pursues this man named Abraham. And, and again, just like the Galatians, just like us, God's the one doing the pursuing here. And so God didn't look down on Abraham's life and go, oh, now, now there's a guy that's not going to let me down and mess up. 
Finally, someone who's got their ducks in a row and I can use. No, God finds Abraham in his own mess of sin and he chooses to use him despite Abraham being Abraham, right? Actually, what what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't paint the men and women of faith in this perfect light, in this perfect light. It shows them warts and all. And we could find that, that Abraham uh, was a man with, with many of his own issues. We see that he uh, acted cowardly. He short-circuited uh, some of God's plans. He, he lost sight of the bigger plan that God had. And yet, Abraham is this incredible man of faith, as we're going to see. And so, God enters into the scene of Abraham's life, and he tells him he has a promise for him. A promise that he will give him a great land uh, and that from him he'll make a great nation with more descendants than he can even count. Now the crazy part about this is that Abraham's 90 years old and at this point he had not been able to have children. So God comes along, he pursues Abraham and then he gives him this great promise and we're told that Abraham believed God. Now just let that sit for a minute. I mean think about how hard that would have been to believe. And also notice here that it's, it does not say Abraham believed in God or that he believed in a God, but that he believed God. He believed that what God said would happen would actually happen. And that's called faith. And so we come to our text and Paul's pointing out that in the same way that God works in our lives because of our faith now, he worked in Abraham's life because of his faith Then, so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What what was counted to him as righteousness? His belief, his faith. Paul says Abraham was not saved by obeying the commands or by checking all the right boxes, but by faith alone. He heard the promises of God, and he believed that God would do them. And here's the kicker. Abraham is saved 430 years before the law is even given. And so there wasn't even a law that he could have, that he could have looked to uh, to make himself right before God. It did, didn't even exist. So Paul's point is that the law isn't what makes us right before God. There, there isn't a checklist that if we can just check all the boxes, then we can make ourselves worthy or acceptable before God. The problem is our sin has separated us from a good and holy God. The solution is Jesus, not cleaning your life up, not checking the right boxes. And so so Paul's writing to the Galatians and he's reminding them that they've gotten off track, that they've forgotten God didn't save them because they cleaned themselves up, because they were more uh, worthy than others. God save them despite the fact that they couldn't do it. Uh, And if they needed any proof, uh, then they could look to Abraham who believed God and he was counted as righteousness. Now, Now, what does that mean when Paul says that it was counted to him as righteousness? The Greek word translated uh, counted here is an, an accounting term. And the illustration that Paul's using here is like if I had worked to save a million dollars, and then I transfer that to your account. That million is now yours. It's in your account. And so did you do anything for it? No, but it, uh, it's yours because it's been transferred to your account. 
And so Jesus' righteousness has been transferred to Abraham's account. Now, now look with me at verse 7. Paul says, Now then that it oh, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So what, is, what does Paul mean by sons of Abraham? Well, like I mentioned a minute ago, God promised that he was going to give Abraham uh, a mighty nation, and that through Abraham he's going to have more descendants than he can even count. And so uh, they believed that they were God's chosen people. But the, but the Jewish people thought that because that they were physical descendants of Abraham, uh, that that would be enough to be acceptable before God. Uh, and they were resting in that for salvation, that, that because they were connected to God's people, that that put them on Team Jesus. And, and sometimes when I have a conversation with someone, uh, they'll, they'll point out that, oh, oh yeah, my dad, he was a pastor, or uh, my uncle, or my cousin as if being linked to them makes them a Christian too. You're not a Christian because your parents were Christians or because your uncle or your cousin or anyone else was a Christian. Your acceptance before God is not based on your heritage or church attendance or the lack thereof or a previous confession or lifestyle. Those things don't make you a believer in Jesus. The, the thing that defines you as a believer is where you've placed your hope. Well, what are you believing in to make yourself right with God? What are you looking to for salvation? And it, it's not, if it's not in faith alone, in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ alone, then you're looking in the wrong place and you're believing a false gospel message. Look with me at, at verses 8 and 9, uh, and that's where we're going to finish. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and so this is the gospel to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what Paul's pointing out again uh, is that the gospel was laid out before the law was. From the beginning, it was God's plan to save us through faith, not obedience to the law. Uh, and I, I've said this multiple weeks in a row. The, the law is meant to be a diagnostic. It cannot fix us. It can't make us acceptable before God. The only thing it can do is show us that we're broken and that we need healing. And therefore, the, the gift is not the law. It's Jesus. And so, uh, who, who sa Jesus who saves us from the condemnation of the law that it brings. And so, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we have the tendency to to just like the Galatians, to forget this gospel message and to fall back into the trap of thinking that we have to earn God's favor or acceptance. Uh, we're all wired a little differently, but, but if you're like me, uh, then you tend to feel like God's more pleased with you when you're nailing it, when you're spending quality time in the mornings and reading and praying, when you're patient with your kids or uh, when you're sharing with others about your faith. And then conversely, I can get really down on myself when, when I'm not getting uh, that quality time in the mornings with God and when I, I'm not being patient with my wife and kids and when I'm uh, shying away from telling others about the hope that I have in Jesus. Uh, and, and I know better, uh, but, but I can think that God's less pleased with me in those moments uh, and I can begin to fall into the trap of thinking that my acceptance that my favor with God is based on my actions. 
and, and, and not in God being fully pleased with his son whom I've trusted in. And so this is how I want to end. I think there are a couple things that we can do or, or questions that we can ask ourselves uh, to keep us from falling away from this gospel message that Paul's trying to protect uh, and to, to keep us from chasing after a false gospel. And so one, we need to ask well, what, what I challenged us uh, at the beginning to, of today. Uh, remind yourself of where you were when God pursued you. And his pursuit of you wasn't because you were awesome and you got it all figured out. You, you, you didn't get your life all cleaned up before Jesus and then he put you on his team. He just saved you. So then we ought not to fall into the lie that, that now we need to earn his acceptance. Uh, if you've placed your hope and faith in Jesus alone to be righteous, to be right before God, it has been given to you. You have been counted as righteous because you have Christ's righteousness. Two, when we sin, we repent. Repentance is agreeing with God that what you did is out of step with what God has for you, that your actions were directly against the commands of a perfect and loving and good God. And then believing that, turning from the sin and believing the truth of what God has said and then walking in obedience. Then third, we need to spend time in close relationship with Him. And how do we do that? We listen to Him. He's spoken to us uh, through His Word, the Bible. And so we, we lay our concerns, our hopes, our, our dreams at His feet, uh, and we bring them to Him in prayer. We, we seek His face. Uh, and another blessing that comes along with reading God's Word and paying attention is what happens is, is that we see, yeah, Abraham, he was a man of faith, but he was also a man who made a lot of mistakes. David, he, he, was, he was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a man who, who messed up over and over. Uh, and if you remember, just a couple weeks ago, we watched one of the apostles, Peter, forget the gospel message. Uh, and when we're reminded of that, and then when we fail we st- and when we mess up, we're reminded that God is in the mess with us. And then fourth and lastly, we need to surround ourselves with other believers. Now, I know right now that's hard. Uh, so when all of this is over, you, you need to, to make Sundays a priority to gather with a local Bible-believing church and then to invest in that faith family. You, you need to make uh, small groups a priority because it's in living life with others who are pursuing Jesus, that we grow, that we're challenged, that we can share our burdens with one another, we can pray for one another. Did you know that God says that the prayers of His people has great power, James 5? Uh, So my desire for us, like Paul, is that we would be reminded of, of who we are and who we were before Christ, before He made us new. And that we would find our rest, our contentment, our peace, our joy, our hope in Christ alone. And if you've joined us this morning and all of this sounds a bit unfamiliar to you, all of this sounds maybe a bit odd, but yet there's just something about it that you, you know uh, it's what's missing in your life. That maybe there's something that's drawing you to this person named Jesus. Would you let us know uh, if you want to talk more by texting I want more to 97,000. Uh, and someone from our church will reach out to you and 
We want to walk this journey alongside you. We want to be there to help you and to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, And so let me encourage you, if you're just seeking to know Jesus more, to to read one of the Gospels. Uh, That's the first four books in the New Testament. And maybe I can encourage you to to check out the book of John and also encourage you as you read uh, to follow along with our sermon series on our website from last year where we walk through the entire book of John verse by verse. uh, And maybe that could be a helpful supplement to you in in learning about who Jesus is. And so let me pray for us. God, we ask that you would help us to remember how you found us. That you chose us not because we cleaned ourselves up first or because how awesome we were, but because of how good you are. And God, you began a good work in us and you promised that you will complete that good work that you've started. And I pray that we would just rest in that, that we would find confidence in that. Show us where we're not believing a true gospel message, but instead a false gospel message, one that that if we continue, will lead us down a path of, of devastation. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. We pray and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.